All right, troops, strong and conditioned, live and direct from Glasgow, Scotland. And tonight I am happy to announce my guest, who is a fellow Scotsman, which is quite a novel experience considering it's mostly Americans that I speak to. So this should be a fun show. However, I will put a disclaimer up there. My accent may revert back to type. And that's what happens when you meet a fellow Scotsman. In fact, it might even get worse at times, so be warned. Anyway, we have the one and only Andy McKenzie from Iron Mac Fitness. Andy, how are you, brother? Yeah, I'm really good. Um, I think this is probably going to be the most Scottish podcast I've ever done because my accent's gradually coming back to full spectrum, so I'll be mindful as well. So, Andrew or Andy? Andy, please. Only uh, I'm in trouble <laughs> if I'm called Andrew. Whereabouts in uh, Scotland are you from, Andy? Um, you would. Do you know Barhead at all? I know it very well. I know it very well. Right, bottom scheme. I don't know the the, the individual parts of Barhead. I I know I, I've been there a good few times throughout my life. It's, it's the I'm part not... that you actually drive through really quickly. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise you get robbed. Um, so essentially, it's built on schemes. So you've got like a we we were called the bottom scheme, where like the riff the the riff raff went. But I think well, that's when I was grew up there. But it, it's changed like quite a lot. I went, I was back home, um, maybe about six months ago, and it it completely transformed from when I was growing up, um, which is actually great to see. A lot of things have actually changed, and um, but, but when I was growing up, it was quite a um, quite a rough place to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Is is that near the train station at all? Uh, yep, it's probably about a 10-minute, 10, 10-15-minute 10, walk from the train station, so you can see it go past. It's, the, it's that rough estate when you, when you, if you ever get the train from Barhead to Glasgow. Yeah, I, I think I know exactly the, the scheme you're talking to. And for any of my uh, foreign listeners, a scheme is what is otherwise known as a housing estate in Scotland and during Andy's heyday, which I would imagine would have been round about, what age are you, Andy? 47, I think about You're that, still yeah. a young 47. stag, mate, but the 80s, these places were quite hairy. They, they really were quite hairy. And I, I, I can empathise with that because I'm from Mary Hill in Glasgow. Oh, wow, yeah, Mary Hill. Uh, but I'm originally from Ruckhill, which is next door to Mary Hill and. Aye, it was a hellhole when I was growing up, to be honest with you. Thinking back, the, the, the changes in uh, Glasgow over the last 20 years have been quite uh, astounding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I, I only see, I see probably bigger changes than yourself because I, I left uh, when I was 16. I joined the military when I was 16. Um, and then, I mean, since then, I've, I've, I've been back maybe once or twice a year. And I, and I see monumental changes and leaps. Um, whereas when, when I, um, I think I wouldn't feel good if my kids grew up in that environment. I mean, I've got two children now, and and um, and I wouldn't want them to grow up in the environment that I actually did because it was when, when I think about it, it's, it was completely you know, unsafe. Uh, too much drugs, even stabbings, and just just ridiculous in terms of um, as you can imagine. But um, yeah, but thankfully it's changed now. That I think that I think that reputation's actually gone. But it's quite a rough environment. I had quite a um, had quite an interesting childhood. Yeah, one of the the things that was uh, really prominent in the Glasgow area 
during that time was gang culture. And I'm sure this is something that you could, you, you, you remember yourself. There was a point where you, your life was pretty much confined to like two or three streets because if you embarked out with those streets, there was a serious chance you would uh, get, get a doing, as we say in Scotland, which means <laughs> severely beat up. I've not heard that for years. I came a doing. Yeah, I mean, um, it's probably why I can actually run quite fast because it was like that. But when I was in, um, we had a gang. It was years ago. It was called the Young Bowery, and the the next uh, town would have been Nets Hill. So you you would fight the the Young Bowery would fight the Nitsies. Um and what you would actually do is you would you would go up onto the railway. Um, and you would literally walk along the railway until you met, and there was like a bridge in the middle just by a graveyard, and we would pretty, we would meet there and have an all-out you know, scrap, and you're, but you're talking, like back then, it was like baseball bats with nails in it, um, <laughs> nunchuckers with uh, shurikens, like, uh, just, when I, again, when I think back, it's like, what were we even thinking about doing that sort of stuff, but... Um, yeah, I can just remember doing that and, and running as fast as I could. And then when I joined the army, I'd had a really good, you know, fitness time purely because of my uh, my youth was spent sprinting from <laughs> fights and stuff like that. Mate. It's funny that you say the young Bowery because uh, my father was from South Nets Hill. Right, oh, was he? And, yeah. And funnily enough, he had, uh, when he passed away, we spread his ashes in a place near Barhead, which is called Craigie Hill. Craigie Hill, I the Craigie. I was up there. Beautiful place, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. We, we spread these ashes up there, so that's. Did you? So I'm. Yeah, I'm that... I... Pardon. Yeah, no, that I um, that's probably one of the places I go back to every time. It, it's almost one of the last places that's untouched. Whereas um, every time I go back, um, everything changed. Like all, all the the two schools that I went to are, are flattened down. Are no academies. Um, the, the the routes that I used to go running when I was training for the army, um, you can't run down anymore because the the housing schemes actually changed and different things like that. Um, but the Craigie's the last thing that's actually been untouched and it's a beautiful place. We used to go and roll Easter eggs down there um, and we spent, you can't swim there now because uh, I think they've changed it, um, but we used to spend you know, like a lot of summers there. So you'd walk from the scheme to the Craigie which is a good couple of miles, actually. Um, spend a day there, uh, which are swimming and then like walk back. So it's fantastic. But nice ah, it's place. beautiful up there. It's beautiful up there. It's a good view, really good view. Yeah. All right. So, Andy, can you give the the people who are unaware of your presence within this fitness sphere, can you give them a, a, a brief rundown as to how you got into the world of the fitness and where it's taken you to this point? So... Um, I'll, I'll try and like keep it. My experiences look really uh, varied, um, and I'm really sort of like, thankful for that. So, um, and I'll try and make it as concise as possible, and then you can sort of ask questions from there. Um, I, I joined the army when I was 16, and you could probably say that previous, prior to that, I'd always been, I'd always trained. So, like, I had brothers, and like, and I grew up with the time of like Rocky and Bruce Lee movies and different stuff like that. So, like, body weight training and. Um, was a was a big part of that, and that was just like the first uh, access in. Um, so I joined the army at sixteen, and then I stayed in the military for sixteen years, and I'd, I'd done like various things within that. Um, 
a very sort of like a operations, um, like Iraq, Iraq, Sierra Leone, Macedonia, different places like that. And then I had, um, had quite an unfortunate accident where I fractured my spine and that changed the course of direction within the military and led me down to the path of going into the gym side uh, and the physical development side. And then from there, I then, um, it, it's quite hard to sort of like explain to somebody who's never been in the military, but essentially I ended up um, uh, part of what's called like pre-parachute selection. So you're on the staff that um, that train airborne forces. So I ended up uh, working on there for like two or three years. Then I, I progressed on to, um, recruit training, which is essentially people coming into the military, getting up to a certain level of fitness, ready for um, to, to serve um, and then continue there. So I, I spent a year there um, and then I went through like another like two-year process um, called Army Physical Training Corps, which is a really um, intense period where you learn everything from bodyweight training all the way up to gym. Then you learn how to manage gyms and there's quite a lot of other things that, that um come off that once I'd uh, finished that I, I was then selected to go and specialize in rehabilitation and because of my like, original injury and where I spent a lot of time uh, in a place called Headley Court I spent about a year and a half there um, on my rehab um, and that was the catalyst for change for me I thought I love that job I can't do the thing that I really want to continue doing in the military so this is that the next best thing for me so I I, I I was thankfully I got chosen to actually specialise in rehab um, and spent another, so that was sort of two years um, on the physical training side, then another six months um, into the rehab side of it. And I eventually went back to recruit training uh, on the other side is the rehab guy and spent uh, a year there. Then I, um, at that time, I decided I was going to leave uh, the military because I had a passion to work in uh, rugby. And and I set myself some goals. It was pretty much like uh, I want to have these certain levels as a strength and conditioning coach. I want to work in professional rugby, own my own gym, like et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then at that time, I was lucky because I was able to like work as a, a PT. Um, then I then I, I ran like a boot camp at the same time I was doing rehab. And then I was also working with different rugby teams. So I was, at that time, just super busy. And, and I guess I'm really thankful because I, I was able to grow as a coach without the um, the pressures of trying to run a business or trying to do social media and stuff like that. So you're talking like pre-Facebook and stuff like that that I, um, that I um, learned to be a coach and implemented. So... Um, I then, when I left the military, I then worked for a, a rugby team called Celtic Crusaders um, and like, ran their academy. And then at the same time, I worked at the um, uh, an establishment called Special Forces Support Group as their like, rehab guy. Did that for about two years. And then from there, I just felt like I was too, doing the same thing over and over. Almost like so rugby was like paint by numbers. And I just wanted like different challenges. So I then thought, right, I want to open up my own uh, gym. Um, and then just that way I can I work with a, a whole range of like, different athletes and just normal people as well. Um, so I, I ended up doing that and moved away from rugby, opened up my own gym uh, and did that for about two or three years whilst, whilst I was with uh, a lower level uh, rugby uh, squad. 
And then from there, I I think I just hit a point where I was completely you nearly know, burnt out flat. Then I, I, I closed that gym, took two or three years to travel, but that travel was actually, um, I ended up spending time in Russia with uh, Klokov in the, uh, the weightlifting school, uh, time in Greece. I've got really good friends out in Slovenia. Um, so I just wouldn't really wanted to really branch out as a coach and learn from as many different people as I can. And then that brings me to uh, where, where I am now in Sirencester, uh, where I've got my own sort of like private studio. Um, I'm mentoring other coaches as well. So th- there's there's clearly like a lot there and that's, that's as condensed as I can try and make it. And I've probably missed out loads. So I've got a really, um, like I said at the start, I'm, I'm really thankful that I've got a broad range of experience um, but that I, I had at a time where I had no pressure, but just to to actually learn and master my craft. So I'm so I'm really thankful for that. Whereas I see young coaches and people who are getting into the industry now, and they've they've got a, a lot more pressure uh, from from uh, from a learning perspective. Yeah, in what way would you say? What would you mean? Like in what way have they got a lot more pressure from a learning perspective? Because I think um, rather than probably the inability to focus, because when you look at the distraction that social media provides, I just think rather than uh, learning something and then going away and practicing it, gaining experience, and then from there, that that will allow you to raise your own questions. It's very, very easy then to like stumble on Instagram, uh, whatever social media channel you actually use, look at something from, say, like an influencer that's got a lot of views, um, especially if you're young and you think, oh, that must be the way that I actually have to uh, approach training. Or if somebody's very dogmatic with like how they view fitness, where it's like, it must be that. So if, if you're a kettlebell guy, then everything's about the kettlebell. Um, whereas I was very much, um, I just seen everything as a tool and yeah. everything as a vehicle. Um, and at the same time, it's like, I, I really enjoyed bodyweight training. That's That's my big thing. That's the thing that I always fall back to. Um, I think for me that's like a fundamental. But when you when you see everything else portrayed now, it's almost like oh, body weight's basic. Just just almost skip past that as quickly as you can. Um, yeah. And I think that that's one of the issues that I see from coaches. They don't really appreciate um, that that like immersion into the craft. Yeah, yeah, I I absolutely agree with that, and it kind of strikes me quite hard because I was one of those guys who like just cast body weight training aside because I was I was drinking from the the free weights or hypertrophy Kool-Aid where you think right you can't achieve gains by doing body weight but how wrong was I how wrong was I so there's a lot to pick apart there because mm. you've done quite a lot Andy uh, but the first thing that grabbed my attention there was your mention of Bruce Lee and how that was a influence in your training when you were trying to get into the army so what kind of training were you doing at that point because back then training information was not what it is now it was it was limited you had to make more of an effort to find it so how did you go about with regards to getting yourself into a physical state to get accepted into the army you've got a couple of strands off that and when when I look back at that point, what what information was there? There, 
almost like none. I think there was there was one book uh, written by a karate guy, and it was called The Pursuit of Excellence, and that and and I still got the book. And and the actual and when you look at the actual train, the bodyweight train, the squats, they were just awful. Um, so I used that book, and then there's another one of like hand me down information, like my dad's um, friends. Pardon me. They were like quite big into training, so they would come and show me different stuff. So you've got that handed me down information from like my dad's friends. My brothers were older brothers were physical in terms of we used to box and go up to the local boxing uh, club. And obviously, bodyweight training and circuits and stuff like that were really prevalent there. Um, and then when I was around, there was like a community action group. So one of my first coaches and probably like one of the biggest uh, influences from, from a male perspective that I'll always remember is a guy called Frankie King. And he was a, a kickboxing coach and done like Cali Eskrima and different stuff like that. And that's when I literally fell in love with like, the discipline of like martial arts. And then the bodyweight training like beyond that. And sometimes when I'm coaching, I can actually um, see the way that he uh, put across information that I would actually do the same. Uh, and even when I'm, um, it, it's funny, like even when I'm what, smelling old bag mitts and stuff, I, I can go right back to like some of his classes because he was such a, not such a, um, a, a real good character. And he was somebody who's really calm. Yeah, but you, but there, there's like that un, under um, undertone of like very powerful, but yeah. not really um, belligerent and stuff like that with it. So he was one of those guys. Whereas when I think about everybody else in the housing scheme at the time, was you know, they were either like a drug dealer or they were you know, in and out of jail. Um, you, you mean like real like rough sorts and real bad characters, and then you've got somebody like Frankie King was like a genuine beacon of. This guy's something else, like quite calm, quite pleasant, really nice manner. But like when he, when you got on the power work and stuff like that, so I, um, yeah, he was great, and he um, like showed me some running routes and told me where to run and different stuff like that, and, and build up, you know, like my capacity. So I did loads of, you know, you can imagine there, squats, lunges, press up, sit ups, uh, little things like that. But, I mean, very limited, but um, yeah, that was that was uh, pretty much uh, awesome. And that was all and, from looking back at watching Bruce Lee movies and stuff like that as a kid. Yeah, and like, did you just throw yourself into training? Then it was there was no idea of recovery at that point. It was just train as often as you can. You're looking at what you're looking at a thirteen, fourteen, fifteen year old. There, there was no talk of recovery back there. You you just train. You know what I mean? So I think that's where people. Um, they they, uh, they they confuse themselves because they they have they look for too much information where sometimes you've actually just got to start and then the roadblock that you actually hit will allow you to ask the right question whereas if you if you really want to um, procrastinate you can sit forever and ever look at training and feed your mind but your body will just be like when are we going to start so <laughs> I think that's one of the problems uh, again just with like, information overload so if I think back then, I never had anything. So all I had was just the intensity of a 14, 15-year-old at that time. Um, yeah. And just getting on with it. Yeah. It's almost like recoveries became an industry within itself. It's important, yet 
people can use that to not train hard enough. I think, do you know what I mean? Oh, I need to recover. And it's like, no, you, you actually need to exert yourself a little more for your body to actually uh, really need the recovery. Um, and that, that's, again, that's what I see. I think um, probably become a wee bit too soft in, to, to some yeah. degree. You remind me of a, a guy I used to do Olympic lifting with years ago. He was an ex-Commonwealth uh, Games competitor. And this guy used to go for 10-mile runs after he would do his training sessions. But he was training in the 80s. Like, if you'd said recovery, recovery to this guy, he would have thought recovery was just going to your bed at night. Hmm. That was recovery well, to these guys. Well, if you probably think about that, right, that's probably the best recovery you can actually get. Sound sleep. I mean, what more do you actually need? Whereas nowadays you've got, again, you've got too many distractions, lack of sleep, um, and that's going to have like a massive cascade effect. So if you think of the, the, the sheer simplicity of that without distractions, then, but I mean, again, I think everything's got its place. And a lot of people um, sort of hop back to like the good old days and stuff like that. There's there's certainly like technical uh, technological advances. And I think the, I sort of swing back and forth. I think the information out there is fantastic. I mean, um, and I'd have loved that you know, as a kid because I would have, at that time I would have been soaking up more. But because I never had anything to actually read, I mean, I reread over and over that book. It's dog-eared. And then the next book I got off that was uh, a, a, a bodybuilding book by Albert Beckles. Um, and like, uh, like anybody, it was a bit like beginner, beginner, I'm going to go for the advanced routine. So me and my brother were like doing... Uh, Albert Beckel's fucking bodybuilding routine with a shitty old weeder bench and like plastic weights and stuff like that. You know, like when I look back, like four sets of twenty leg extensions and just like chaos. But you were just getting on with it. Do you think if you did have access to that information back then, it would have held you back? Difficult. Um... I've always thought about that in terms of what would I be like if I was subject to what kids have got access to now. I think I'd just be the same as them. I think I'd be overwhelmed, too much information, too distracted. I think a young, I think a young mind actually needs direction from mentors and, and, and good solid men rather than what's online. Because one of the things about online, for example, and the information is you can be you can be led down a path as much as you can have that with guys as well. But if you think about, if you think about really good solid training gyms or martial arts environments, mate, where you've got um, good senses and coaches and uh, guys who teach, I think they're in a much, much better position to actually pass their knowledge on to young men. And I think that's where there's a real uh, need for genuinely uh, strong coaches who are humble and who, who want to like, pass on their knowledge um, and that's the danger of um, everything being online and, and nobody having that um, like uh, in-person contact. Uh, so I think there's uh, I think there's a lot of value in that. I don't know if that answers your question. No, no, it does. I'm just like it makes me think that they say that knowledge is power, but when you look at it through a fitness lens, it almost seems like too much knowledge. It makes you less powerful in some respects. Knowledge is, is only power if applied in the right way, though. Um, and, and it's that thing of like power re re reveals like the person like uh, who they really are. So I think when it comes to uh, to fitness, 
one of the things I I try to do is give people context. So whenever I'm trying to explain something, to, to give them a, an idea, just so that they can take on board the information and think about it from, for themselves. So then they can say, well, I, I might be able to apply that in this way. But I think one of the things we need to, uh, the, the hurdle that needs to be met with fitness is getting people to actually take the first step. Um, I prefer, from a coaching perspective, I like it when people come to me um, and it's almost like they've battered and beat themselves up and they've got broken because I know they've, they've got something about them they, they, and they just need that direction. And that's all that I'm trying to do as a coach. Um, but there's, there's, that, there's that danger of like, you just continually put information out there. And I think really what we have to do is consider why am I putting this out here? What can I actually teach and what questions can maybe this raise for other people who are actually watching it? Um, and yeah. that's why uh, you have to maybe really consider, especially you, if you've got like a, you've clearly got a following on YouTube and Instagram and stuff like that as well. So um, it's, it's just considering what you actually put out there. I think it's important. Yeah, yeah. So uh, like that was quite an interesting point. I mean, you, you, you talk, talked about people who come to you. Let's talk about the people who come to you. Do people come to you as like they're just getting into fitness? and they want expert help from the get-go or do you find that people come as a last throw of the dice that they've tried everything and they need that mentor who's going to finally show them the right way to get the results that, that have eluded them over the years? I don't think beginners like warm to me. I, I, I don't think... I, um... I probably not got like a welcoming persona to get like um, beginners through the door, um, and a lot of people look at my training and think, "Oh, that's too much for me." But then essentially, when they get through the other side, you think, "Oh, I wish I'd done this earlier." Um, I, I tend to see people who are at the last bit where they might have been through two or three trainers, they might have seen a physio, because I tend to deal with people who have maybe um, because of my rehab background have damaged their shoulder, hurt their back. So I write programs to get them back pain-free and then get them to do the fundamentals and, and essentially just give them what they should have actually had at the start um, and and not skip the process. Because, again, it's like um, everybody if – you, if you ask somebody in fitness, like, how do you get strong? They're, they're, nine times out of ten, their they're, they're first answer would be squat, bench, or deadlift, like uh, three sets of five. And it's like, well, hold on a minute. There's more to strength than just like barbell. There's you can you can build machine uh, strength on machines, but you can certainly build up like years of layered strength doing bodyweight training and core training that will actually really complement your barbell stuff when you when you get to there. So that's um, so I tend to see people who are pretty much at that last bit, and it's like, what can I do? And it's let's go back to the basics. And and the great thing is because they've already trained. And they and they just need a few tweaks. Within a couple of weeks, it's like body feels great, and they're enthused again. And then they they want to do more. But the other one is because they've essentially done body weight in the right way, and they've seen they can actually get some fantastic gains. So I'll give you an example. Um, like during the lockdown, that that really uh, played into my strengths, like writing body weight programs and stuff like that. And uh, and I run like an online group, and the the guys in the online group. Like I'd say over 60% of them have actually kept with bodyweight training, training at home because they get better results, they felt better um, and their body was in better shape. 
because they just took away the lot of stress of like traveling to the gym, traveling back, being in an environment they, they didn't actually feel comfortable in. Um, so that that was like a real eye opener for you know, like people and and looking at how good body weight training is. So um, yeah, that's that's how I tend to work with people. Yeah, that's it's, it's funny that you say that about body weight training because that sounds really similar to my experience. To go back to what I said earlier, when I, like I never had a favourable view of it, but. During lockdown is when I discovered body weight training as well. Well, not discovered it, but started to implement it in such a way. And it was almost like a weight came off my shoulders because it meant that I knew that I was not just confined to having to leave the house and travel in order to get a, a, a productive workout. If anything, the, the workouts I was getting in my living room were far more productive than anything that I'd ever got in a gym. And I think it was because I bought into the concept once I got past that two-week period of where I was immersing myself. And mm. when you have that belief in the system, I think you're always going to get results. Yeah, but when you consider that, you you were almost, everybody was forced. Um, <laughs> and I think, if, again, it's like, I always, when people say bodyweight training is easy, then I just send them a couple of sessions and say, try that. Or, or the other one that I say is like, like drop down and if you can't do 60 push-ups, I think you're weak. I mean, that's that's one of my markers, even within the group. And and I think there's a, there's a difference. So for me then, because uh, this riles some people, but I think a healthy man, and a healthy man uh, should train twice a week. He should be able to do 30 push-ups um, after like a, a year of training or so, um, but that that's just like a general standard of health. But anybody who's actually trained, who takes their training seriously, and then beyond the five year mark, you should be able to uh, do sixty push ups with, without question. Without and that's not like a warm up and all the fancy stuff to get you going there. But like so that that's a good marker. And if you can't do that or you struggle, uh, then that then for me that raises question about like where your body is actually at. Um, but but just to really uh, enforce a couple of things there, it's it's what you've got to do at the end of this is really find out what's your standard. So for me, my standard is like a minimum of thirty. Um, so if I ever drop below, if I ever drop below that, so if I was ever unable to do thirty, there'd be clearly something wrong with my training. I'd have I'd have literally went down a path uh, that's um, that's wrong for me or wrong for my physical standards. So that'd be it. And then the other one is I always want to be be in and around that 60 mark. So so there's a fluctuation. So and this is what I try and get across to people. Have a standard that's that's set for yourself. So you might think, oh, 60 is ridiculous. Um that's absolutely fine, but choose something um, that's appropriate for you. But there needs to be a minimum. And I think the minimum for a healthy male who trains twice a week um after after a year should be 30. Uh, and if it isn't, then you really need to look at what you're actually doing because I think that's I think that's something that's really achievable. What's the standard for these push-ups? Is it Royal Marine push-up standard? There's no standard for a push-up. There's a push-up and there's a push-up, isn't there? There's, it's, yeah, but do you, you have like, 
do you have a protocol where like they have to rest like there's a second with chesty floor full lockout because you know some people can just go for that yeah i mean yeah there's two ways you could actually approach it like uh, i normally just it's got to be chest to floor so like for me then i say there's three c's that touch the floor your chest your chin and your cock so, <laughs> <laughs> so it depends how well hung you are so you can if you're, you're up there but so so essentially you've got to get you've got to get three bits of you've got to have body contact with the floor and then full extension of the arms um and the other one, and but I don't like to think about tempos or anything like that. You just rep it out and smash them out that yeah. way. But from a training perspective, I tend to do a lot of hand release press-ups. The hand release arm, um, hands come off the floor. I extend my arms out to the side like right. that. Um, so that way you get a little bit of stretch in the bicep and stuff like that as well. And then hands back in. And the great thing is from there is you you have to sort of like really activate. And I, I tend to pulse core. So as I... When I'm doing push-ups, I like to squeeze my abs and push at the same time. So effectively what I'm trying to do is get the push-up to feel light and explosive in every single rep rather than this sort of like slow up and down sort of like grind. So I tend to do that. The push-ups are wake-up call for a lot of guys because Absolutely. like you, you'll remember this. Like when I was growing up, your uncles would challenge you to doing push-ups, you would go to your grannies and your uncles would be there and they'd be like, hey, do 100 push-ups, wee man. And you would just start repping them out. So you've got that childhood memory of push-ups locked in your head. And then you go for a gym induction. And the gym instructor says, can you do a push-up? And guys will always say, ah, yeah, I can do a push-up, I can do a push-up. And then you'll see them attempt a push-up and they struggle to like perform one. And you can almost see that, like that reality, just flood through their heads because they've been locked into that childhood memory, thinking that I can bust out fifty push-ups at will, and then they're there lying flat in the ground. It's like a, it's like a massive red pill moment for a lot of guys when they start the gym. Yeah, it's almost a shit. What have I let myself in, or <laughs> or how much I've actually let myself go? I think that that creeps up. Yeah, but I think it's um, it's humbling. Um, at the same time, if, if people really commit to that 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 pathway of you know, like body weight and core, and just doing like low level aerobic, you can actually build. Um, I wouldn't really say much like a great physique because that's that's always going to come like in time. But you can actually feel really good about yourself, and I think that's one of the that's one of the first things that I try and get people to to embrace is the feel good factor of doing exercise. And that's the thing that I want to try and capture because if, if they can have that feel good factor, they will do it again and again. Um, yeah. And th that's what I'm trying to get when I'm when I'm getting people training again. Yeah, that that feel good factor should always like run in synergy with progression. When people see their numbers going up, particularly in an exercise that they can execute anywhere, they're always going to get that that wee burst of confidence, which is then going to increase the the chances of adherence to that particular move yeah i think so, that that's why sorry um the that that's why i think um, people should like have um, performance related goals rather than weight loss goals and things like that because one of the things with weight loss it, it, it does um stagnate very very quickly as soon as you get that yeah. initial drop um it does stagnate and then people get demotivated especially when it's the you get too much of a fluctuation up and down on the scales. 
Yeah. So I tend to just remove that and just think, look, train for performance in terms of what, so one for me, performance would be uh, making you feel good, but then seeing like a, uh, an improvement on technique, you know, I mean, a progression from say hands elevated press ups to maybe press ups on the uh, hands on the floor. So that would be a performance progression. Um, same as like uh, the building towards, you know, like a chin up, like starting off the floor. Uh, everything's performance based. So if you look at that as a metric, it's like, hey, you've done, you, you've done eleven. Now you've you, you can do thirteen, fourteen. That's like a a great jump. Do you know what I mean yeah, let's head, head yeah. towards fifteen? Whereas yeah. So that 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 progression is incremental, and I always find that that continually moves now, yeah. that scale. Yeah. Whereas when you're looking at weight loss, it's like there's too many fluctuations, and people tend yeah. to get pissed off, and it's like, oh, then it's they start going back to the start, and it's just it's just a waste of time. So yeah. you go from a performance perspective, it's better. So does that tie in with the the military mindset and the respect that it's all about being understanding of what you can control and weight loss you can only control to a certain degree because the only thing you can control is the amount of calories you consume on a daily basis after those calories have been consumed it's out of control you can't determine how much weight you're losing also factor in that the scales are going to give you different readings on a daily basis you're not going to have a true idea of what's taking place there and then. Whereas when you switch over to the performance-based mindset, you have total control. You've got the ability to train. You've got these systems that you can employ within your training. Therefore, you have got more control over your progress. And if you then focus on that aspect, you are going to get better results, which will feed into other areas of your fitness journey, so to speak? Yeah. Essentially, you've got a lot more levers to pull when it comes to training rather yeah. than diet. And I think if you, especially when somebody's maybe failed about four or five diets or sometimes even more, and then you just say, look, um, for the minute, I don't worry about diet. All I want you to do is I want you to focus on training. And that is like I want you to maybe get like a minimum of twenty minutes per day, and then we can add we can add layers on top of that, and then you give them like body weight that's appropriate to their level, and then you and so if you think about how many progressions you can actually do, how much uh, fun and changes you can have with training, and the key thing is is that will make you feel better. So when you when you effectively feel better about yourself, you improve your confidence, and then slowly over time you then sort of asking the right questions about diet because it's a bit like, well, I can feel my body um, sort of like changing. How else can I um, assist with that? And then you can have that conversation. Well, look, um, if you look at your diet right now, if you start really um, focusing on protein you know, as a priority, that will help uh, build that muscle, help with the recovery. And that's the only thing you've got to do. You can you can do everything else. Just, just have a little focus on that. But let's go back to training and let's try and change uh, this and this. So for me, training, uh, and again, if you look at the, the idea of um, not just being body weight, for, if, if that's all they've got, then your repertoire is like quite a lot. But if you go into the gym environment and then you can give people a combination of body weight, dumbbells, machines, uh, you can, it's, it's infinite. You can change up all the time. To, you can give people the same movement pattern that you want to try and improve as a coach, but it's yeah. different for them every single time. And I think that's the beauty about training, whereas diet, I think, is generally you know, like quite a, quite a challenge. And uh, again, so th that's my that's my focus from 
from training people and that's how I tend to sort of get results is performance driven, focus more on the exercise and then over time when they ask the question, that means they're ready to actually move to that level. But if I just push it uh, here, eat fucking salmon on a, a Friday night, when you, it's, that, it's that same old thing and that you get given something, I don't really feel like that and it's and then it fails pretty much straight away yeah. at the start. So, yeah, I think that's a better tactic that I employ. Yeah, so so how like do you get a lot of guys come to you who have only physique goals? No, I'm not a physique goal type of guy. I'm not that guy. Um, and I, my um, so yeah, I mean, short answer, no. Um, they yeah. they tend to be they they, they want to lose a couple of pounds. Don't get me wrong, but the the conversation is more about that the everything's dropped off. You know what I mean? It, if you think about it, as soon as your energy levels drop and when you're over what you've got uh, and then that starts bleeding into the, the family home and different stuff like that, all of those things like spiral down. So at that point, you don't really like give a toss about a six pack or anything like that. You just want your energy levels back up so that you can actually you know, like manage your day to day. So that that's the, the conversations we have. I get some guys are like, oh, I want to I want to look better. And it's like, cool, let's have a conversation about that. But right now, like you, you don't sleep uh, like too, uh, too well. You can't even um, hold down like uh, say three or four training sessions a week. If if I like boot you into a fat loss plan, you're just going to fail again, and you're going to jump on another coach. So let's just stand back uh, a little bit and think. Right, what's the what's the one big thing that we can actually achieve initially to again get your energy levels back up, make you feel better about yourself, and then once you're into a real good groove. Um, and you can handle load, you can handle stress um, in, in a positive way. Then, then we can talk about um, we can talk about physique goals. But this, this stems from the, the problems that I see are guys who have been on um, training too hard, fell off a cliff and got injured, and then dieting for too long as well. Do you know what I mean like way past eight weeks? So I tend to have um, focus for eight weeks. So I have like an eight week sprint, and then I have a full week maintain. So that you you really like work hard, but then you, you need a it's not like a rest and recovery like we spoke about before, but you need like a mental deload where you just yeah. you want to relax and everything, uh, and that's the one that, that's the bridge that's really important. Then you go for like another eight week, and you might focus on something else. But uh, the, but there's certainly um, there's certainly a pathway that I think that should be followed to get people to that. So, but yeah. that's what I certainly see. So I mean, older guys who are like say. Uh, maybe late thirties, thinking, "Oh shit, what my my forties are going to be like downhill," and I'm like, "Well, I'm nearly fifty, and I, and I feel completely like different from that." So that's the 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 demographic that I tend to feel. Yeah. So has and the, the, the ways your life has changed by like having a family and getting older. Has that changed your mentality with regards to training? more health conscious and I think that's two factors that's one I'm now getting into my 50s so I think that's I think that's a natural given and then second one I've got like a two and a half year old and a three and a half year old and obviously that from a health perspective is thought right I need to really be like uh, I've got a different sort of outlook from that respect and then I've got the other one is um, I don't want to be in my, say, 60s and 70s when I've got a son and daughter and they're in their 
they're like a, they're like young and in their prime and think they can challenge the old man. So I'll, <laughs> I'll still have to, I'll still have to keep something in my my, my toolbox. You know, I'll have to have one thing that I'm actually good at. Probably be push ups or chin ups and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? So, but yeah, I think I think uh, with that lead, that's the the only two changes. Um, the other one as well is this might sound strange, but I view training now as what my body actually needs. Whereas when I was in the military and I was training for like sport um, and when I, when I competed in you know, like different events and stuff like that, it was always for like an outcome. It was almost yeah. like, it, it was too like goal. And I was always putting myself under pressure. I was like, fuck, I need to lift that. And I need to push here. And you know what I mean? So, and then when I'm on it, I'm a bit of a nightmare. So I can't get sort of like stuff done. I'm like, um, whereas now, I, I can appreciate it in a different way, so I'm I'm a bit more relaxed when it comes to training. But I, I understand myself like a lot more as well. Um, so I I know instinctively um, if I if I hang off the gym rings uh, in the gym and my grip just isn't quite there, then it's an yeah. easy session for me. Or I might even just go for a walk with the kids. Yeah, yeah. But if it's like on and I'm gonna you know like turn that in uh, to like dust. Then it's 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 on like big time. So and yeah. and I still like to train hard as well. When I see people like, oh, you've got to relax in, in your fifties. I'm like, you've got to maintain like a good level of intensity, uh, and obviously uh, and balance that up with you know, like things at the other end, you know, like walks with the kids and um, low level aerobic, like everybody's talking about now as well. So how did you make? I'm all, I'm making an assumption here. Before you had children, I'd imagine you trained quite frequently because it's it's part of your job. It's your job. You need to look a certain way. You need to be able to perform a certain way. So when you had your first child, you know yourself, everything goes up in the air when it comes to training. That was the story for me anyway. How did you make that transition from that training life to the new training life that comes after having children? hanging by a thread to try and <laughs> keep on to my old ways. Yeah, certainly it's great. Um I'll tell you one of the things that I've found is maybe probably the maybe the first two years I lost a sense of who I was. Yeah. I, yeah. I felt like I became a dad. Yeah. And then I thought that was it. I was like, oh my dad now and I and I lost me. And yeah. my, my training my training toned down. So like instead of like I'll give you an example. When when I train Sometimes I like train for maybe an hour, uh, sorry, maybe two hours, sometimes three, depending on like what the session actually is. Um, whereas now it's like an hour max, and then sometimes it's like an hour and a half. But I used to train for longer. I like longer uh, type sessions, especially when it comes to, to body weight. Um, and, and I orchestrated my life to actually accommodate that. With kids, uh, you clearly uh, can't do that, but... Um, I've reduced volume and, and trained like short and sharper. So one of the things I thought is, look, I've got a, I've got a, a lifetime of training behind me. So like for the next sort of year at least, I can get away. And, and what I found was, you'd be amazed at what you can actually get done in twenty minutes. Do you know what I mean yep. I've got like a, a a twenty minute session, which is essentially like on the minute every minute. You do five chins, ten push ups, twenty squats. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. if you think about that volume. And you've got to like get there fast, otherwise, because it, it starts to shorten. 
and you you can do that. And the great the great thing about bodyweight training, you don't really need like an elaborate warm up. If it's going to be like barbell or say like Olympic lifting or stuff like that, you've got to like prep the joints. Yeah. With bodyweight training, I can tend to build into it and and just yeah. get loads done in sort of like twenty minutes. Um, yeah, but like I I I did lose like me for a little bit and I've only just started to get that back I've, I've actually started to get that intensity back in my training and think no I want to like, actually sort of like yeah focus a little bit more and, and go hard again so yeah it was a bit yeah. of a bit of an all two years I don't know if everybody experiences that but I certainly uh felt like I lost myself for a little bit yeah do you, do you think that becoming a dad and having that limited time made you a better trainer in that respect because your decisions had to be more you had to be smarter. Made me more understanding of, of uh, men with families in general, whereas, we'll put it this way, right, is I would never take time management or training advice off anybody who'd never had kids. <laughs> because it's, ju- it's just a completely different thing. So, and again, so when I, when I look back to, say, like my 30-year-old self, he would annoy me. If, do you know what I mean? If, if I had me to be now, I'd be like, you haven't got a fucking clue, mate. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, but I just lived a completely different life. So I'm definitely more um, uh, empathetic um, with you know, like people's time and stuff like that as well. Probably more yeah. more from the uh, the mother's side of it because I can see how much they, they actually go through. And I've got a couple of females in my group who are uh, mothers and I just instinctively know that I just need to give them... And again enough training to feel good and keep them actually going because for me I think training should actually give you energy back and I think yeah. that's one of the things where people get it wrong and this is what I found was um, I would go in and try and train like I did before like say 90 minutes and I'd just I'd feel wiped out and I just thought look this isn't working for me because if, if, I, if I keep feeling like that I'm, I'm just going to avoid training altogether and that's when I lowered down to these twenty-minute sessions, and body weight like really come back in and was more um, like relevant in, in my training. And that's when I started to feel good again. And I was like, right, this is for me the the real key about training is that it should give me energy back to to put in at the family, be, like, be more present, you know, like with the kids. Because if I'm tired, uh, I'm going to react in a different way to what they actually need. Whereas yeah. um, I, I need to be like on point. I need to have my energy levels back. So, if, for example, if Coleman's having a meltdown, I can be there so that he can just melt and, and I can absorb it. Whereas if I'm tired, I'm just going to act like a child. And, I, and I've done that at the start. You're just like, so yeah, that, that's one of my biggest learning points. And, and I think that's where um, having, I'm thankful that I've got a good understanding of training as well when I know that what can be achieved. Uh, but again, I've trained for like a long time. So, I could, um, yeah, I could maximise like twenty minutes and get what I needed. Yeah, did did you all like ideas of recovery change as well when you had to factor in the lack of sleep that started to manifest itself? I, I tell you, one thing is with that right is um, when, when it comes to sleep, and this again is a big problem with no information because if you um, if you if you listen to the sleep experts, I think they cause sometimes more harm than good. Because all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, I need to be optimum. I haven't. I only got seven hours sleep last night. Therefore, I'm going to feel tired. And the reality is, though, you can actually function on like a, a little bit less every now and again. You don't have to be too um, too rigid with it. 
and I, I just found that initially I was like, you can talk yourself into it. I'm going to be sleep deprived. I'm going to be this. And then I, one day I just thought, well, hold on a minute. This, this is what it is. Um, if I really start focusing on, so I used to have um, the old whoop band and stuff like that and like record my sleep. And I was like, this is just making me feel even worse. So the, the, the decision I made was like, look, do you know what? I don't need metrics. I don't need anybody to tell me whether, whether or not I've had a good night's sleep or whether it's four or five or unbroken. I'm just going to like get on with it and, and, and move through that way. And you'll be amazed about how better you actually feel uh, rather than um, making yourself feel guilty for not getting you know, like the optimum eight and stuff like that. Yeah. So that, that's, that's how I feel about sleep now, mate. Yeah. I think like the fitness has became this, it's almost became a religious thing now where you get like the 10 commandments of fitness because I'm going to go on a tangent here, but I always think back to when I was growing up in the eighties and nineties, particularly the nineties. And it, like the clubbing was the biggest thing in the nineties. Everybody went clubbing in the nineties and you would walk up, you know, great Western road in Glasgow. Yeah. You would walk up great Western road and there'd be people looking for parties and I was driving up there about a year ago on a Saturday morning and all I seen was young people with big uh, sports holdalls and protein shakes and they're all going to the gym. And I was thinking, 20 years ago, you would you, you would have never seen this. You would have never seen this. It's, it's almost like youth culture has completely turned on its head. Mm. But there's the culture is now that it's all about you must adhere to these commandments if you are to get the respect of people and to get any results. And it's like you said, it's you need to get eight hours of sleep a night. You need to foam roll for two hours before a workout. You need to be doing, and it's, and I think that's one of the most off-putting things about fitness nowadays, where you have to adhere to these rules that are being placed by people who don't have those life experiences that older guys speak of, which is having children and having your whole life turned on its head. Mm. I mean, is that something that you can identify with? Yeah. The, the Again, it's going back to, uh, if you think about the, the information, and, and what you said there is, one of the issues we've got right now is you're having people who are um, not, ex- not, uh, not fitness coaches or experts per se, they're, they're content creators. So rather than creating content and speaking from experience, they're just trolling the internet. What looks good and then repackaging that and then just adding one little thing and making it a little bit more appealing. And all of a sudden you've got like, you've got to wake up at four, you've got to meditate for an hour, you've got to, <laughs> you know I mean, and you've got, it's optimum, optimum, optimum. And then if you, if you fall off that, then that's it, your gains will never be done. And it's like, well, hold on a minute. Like, um, if you look at when I was in my 20s, um, especially in the military, I mean, we were, like, essentially professional alcoholics that could, like, go on the pistol two or three in the morning, wake up at seven, go for a run, and that would be your hangover, and then have a full day's work, um, not eat the best food, and then go back and do that on repeat, but yet still be fit. Uh, and then, But then when you look at people now saying, oh, like, alcohol affects sleep and stuff like that, and and... And don't get me wrong, that there is um you you should pay attention to that. But again, you've actually got to think like where does that generally fit into my life? And the other one is, um, is this person 
what's their life actually like, and therefore can I really like take on board that information? So that's what I think people should should actually uh, really do now, and it's probably what I'll teach my my son and daughter to, is to be able to think, you know, like critically um, about yeah. things they actually see online, and just like dare to still question, um, or or even if you see a post, then like fire back questions, say like, how did you actually come up with that, and do you actually live that yourself? Because You'll just find half these creators um, just are, are the ones that end up with the most like mental and physical problems, and then all of a sudden they find a cure, and then everything becomes that. And it's like the blind leading the blind, mate. Um, yeah, I think that the issue for a lot of these guys is they pigeonhole themselves into a niche, and then they need to become someone who they're not, and then it just becomes false in that respect, and they be- they become confined where they can't change. Or pivot, they're just stuck there. Yeah, I think there's a danger of um, again, if, if people create like a certain type of content that resonates, then they feel they have to like continue um, like, like promoting that. Uh, and I just think we should um, it, it, again, it's challenging because if, if you're young and you don't really know yourself and therefore you're not really confident, then all of a sudden, then you see. Uh, somebody putting out that information, they get the accolades and, and everything that comes with that. And you can very easily put that up as a layer. And then all of a sudden, um, two or three years down the road, you just completely think, who the fuck am I? <laughs> and that, and you see, that again, these YouTubers, um, I've seen quite a few of them over the years because I've, I've been around like a long time now. But I've just seen them sort of like come and go and they've almost been chewed up and spat out when it's like... Um, just be comfortable with who you actually are and, and just make sure that you put out the information that you actually live. Um, yeah. And that, that's what I uh, pretty much uh, try to do. So I look at stuff, try it, and if it doesn't fit, then it doesn't fit. So, you know I mean? I, I don't wake up and have an ice bath and, and do mantras and things like that. I, I just wake up and get on with the day. What is your wake-up routine, Andy? I bought Lion Brew in the morning. And uh, I always wear sausage. <laughs> Square square slice if I can get it, mate. Like, I, like um, that's what I love going back home. With my sister square slice, <laughs> I, um, totty scones, oh, amazing. Yeah, I <laughs> so, think it, I think it'd be, I think it'd be a different man if I still lived in Scotland. I don't know if I'd be who I am now. And, and really, a parallel universe. And, and and why would that be? Um, I I, I think um, I think if I'd have stayed around, your environment actually can shape you quite a lot and I think yeah. if I'd have stayed around the housing scheme and things like that it would have been as much as I'd like to say I felt different to everybody else when, when I was at school and stuff like that I, I didn't really like follow the, the path of most people um, I, I think it would have been a, when a, a fair sort of like challenge I guess I'll Maybe maybe that's what you see at the end of your life. Here's what you could have won, um, but I think it would have been like different. I, I think I had a, um, I think I had a, a fortunate escape by joining the military, then really expanding my horizon and and, and getting to uh, you know, flourish in different environments. I, I certainly had a, a good change in, in, in my first year because I had a year of like leadership training in my my initial year in the military, and I think that was like a really good. Um, stepping stone into the, the next things that I've done because I had really good male strong uh, male role models as well and I think that's actually quite key whereas yeah. when I look at the housing scheme again like your your average characters either you aspire to be a drug dealer um, or you're you, or the local uh, the local hard man 
and when you think about that, it's like that's not really aspirational. So yeah, yeah. it might have been different. Yeah, it's funny you say that because that's one thing that's defined a lot of people's experience growing up in Glasgow at Ballhead is that local hard man mentality, which just seems to be that dominant feature within these schemes. It was always the thing that was there. Well, do you, do you know the, the um, most guys who I grew up with are dead? Yeah. So if you, if you if you look at that, I think there's about two or three out of a whole housing scheme, my age group, who are actually still alive, and they they're just, I'd, I'd probably say they're existing as like a, an alcoholic or drugs or, or both. So yeah, yeah. if you think about that, that's that's quite an environment that I, that I've removed myself from. So did you join the army to escape that environment, or was it another decision? No, like my my uncle was in. Uh, Mike was in uh, two para, like second battalion parachute regiment, and I always remember him coming home and leave. And again, you know, like that sort of like type of character. Uh, and then I got the book called uh, "The Making of a Para" because we had like a local library, and I think that's where I got most of my, uh, not, well, that was the only source of knowledge back then. I remember getting that book and reading it cover to cover, type over and over again, and I thought, right, that's what I want to do. Um, and then when I went to, so I joined. Uh, what's called Junior Leader Regiment Royal Artillery. So I, I didn't go the, the parachute way um, because my uncle said, look, you need to get a trade, do that. So I um, so I went in this side and I remember like the first couple of weeks being there and writing back home to my mum saying, look, I don't like it, can I come back? And she was a bit like, there is no coming back. There's no bed here for you. And I was like, that moment of... <laughs> it, do you know what I mean? It must have been really hard for her to actually write that. Yeah, because um, you can imagine, but that as soon as she wrote that back, something switched in me. Yeah, and that was like a real. It was all. I I remember that was quite a big thing for me. So I went in there like, right, I need to, because um, I remember being in, and there was lots of like cadets and people who'd experience of the military before, whereas I had like zero. So I was like, right, I need to really fucking up my game here. So that's when I just went right. Um, it was like bed blocks, practicing them while everybody was like chilling out. I like right, I'm going to practice it over and over until I can do it my eyes shut, um, because I don't want to be under pressure. Um, like I, I need to learn how to iron my kit so that I don't want to be under pressure. And yeah. you know, I just felt that. And, and as soon as I hit that gear, then then I progressed like quite quickly. I got you know, like promotion and um, ended up becoming like a junior sergeant, like leading the Goshen Parade and different stuff like that. So. I think as soon as my my mum uh, uh, done that for me, it was just it was like quite a, quite a change. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think it must have been quite tougher as well to write that. Yeah. Do you think that military background has allowed you to excel in your fitness career? From the perspective of, like I said at the start, um, I amassed like a real wealth of coaching knowledge so I could actually go wide and, and deep um, and again like because I never had any pressure um, also I mean you get discipline um, and, and you understand that if, if you I guess if you um, <clears throat> if you give yourself structure so if you have like a clear start and a clear end to your day then that gives you structure and if you can like follow that then you'll get you'll be ahead of the curve and I think that's something I've always like kept. So I've, I've, I need so I need structure, and if I if I've got that, I excel. 
and I've, I noticed them when I when I first got out of the army. I was a bit like, oh, I can do what the fuck I want, and it soon imploded because. Um, and again, when people say um, I'm overwhelmed, one of the things yeah. I say is you're not overwhelmed. You're actually not organised. Uh, a lot of people aren't over when you actually when you actually dig into the weeds. It's like they aren't really organised. So if you actually get people to organise and structure their day a little bit better, that overwhelm tends to disappear because they, yeah. they start getting things done. So yeah. um, it's, it's certainly like a, a pivotal part because you you experience a lot more. And and I ended up going into like a, an airborne unit, which is like a, like a different level. You've got to pass like a selection course to get on there. So you're in like a real uh, alpha male environment. So you got yeah. to grow up pretty fast. So I remember when I joined that after, like I was only 17 and you, you sort of accelerate in, in who you are and, and uh, what you need to be and stuff like that. So yeah, it was a good environment, tough at times. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Certainly, certainly a great, great time. Okay. So like, I'm under the impression that body weight and calisthenics is the main exercise focus when you're in the military, is that is that t- the case? Ch- it's changed now, so I'll, I'll I'll talk from when I was in. It was certainly like a lot of bodyweight training. I mean, that goes the same because when you go on operations, you haven't really got a gym kit, um, and you have to either beg, borrow, steal, or it's pretty much like uh, do push-ups, get a pole off the side of a wagon, and you're doing and you're doing pull-ups. Um, and then if you can sneak a couple of dumbbells and stuff like that, then you go there. But yeah, it, it has to be a lot of that. But when you when you're back in camp, then there's gyms there. So you you tend, I mean, I did a lot of gym training, and uh, and I think for me, I'm not just a bodyweight guy. I've got a gym full of kit. I like I still yeah. like Olympic weightlifting. I like squats, um, you know, stuff with a barbell, and I think they're very very complementary. Um, and I think once you actually understand that the um, training and exercise is complementary. Then you can you can take the blinkers off and you can actually enjoy a little bit more. But um, yeah, certainly like uh, bodyweight trains like it is something because you are tested. You're tested on um, uh, press ups, sit ups, and then a mile and a half run. That's one of your basic tests. But I think now they've actually got more um, uh, barbell or strength tests, which which I, I actually don't know anything about. But, yeah. but back in back in my day, then, which is a, a good uh, number of years now, certainly body yeah. it was, um, and the other one as well, Lee, it's effective. I mean, it's why it's still here. It's why in a hundred years' time, doing a push up will still be hard. There'll still be a challenge. I mean, doing thirty, doing six, whatever your rep range is, like it will still be a challenge because you've got to do the work. Um, and again, it's with anybody with anybody with training. Um, uh, if you when you get to a certain level, you will know that that guy has or that uh, girl has been diligent in their approach. Have actually you know, like went through the fire to att- to attain that goal. So, if you see like some of these you know, out and out calisthenics guys, they are high level because they've actually. I mean, they're strong, uh, yeah. obviously, in and in a different sort of capacity to somebody with a barbell, but it's still strong. It's still, yeah, yeah, absolutely, effective training. So what advice would you give to people who are starting out with bodyweight training? What are you talking from never trained before and yeah. just starting to train? Absolute novice. So I would say I wouldn't worry about 
getting a coach or anything like that. Not initially. I think um, if you if you've got if you're intelligent, you can look at a video and you can you can pretty much sort of like pick it up. And I think it's far better to go to a coach with here's what I have done rather than I'm I'm starting yeah. fresh. That's the first one. If body weight's actually all you've got, I think you can actually get a lot of. Um, I I tend to advise people to do a lot of core training. Um, I, I'm I'm a big believer in core. So if, if you done, for example, um, like a straight arm plank hold uh, into dorsal raises, and then turned over and did some crunches, and then maybe into like a cobra exercise, which is like so if you literally go front front and back front and back like that. And if you did that for a two-minute circuit and went uh, for a, a, a two-minute run, and you if you did that sort of like for twenty minutes, a couple of times a week, that would be that would be effective like yeah. from the off. That that would be that would be enough exposure because a lot of the problems with um, body weight down the line uh, um, comes from lack of core control or lack of core strength. Um, and even when you go into like a barbell training as well, a lot of the problems that I see are people who are lacking um, in strength in the middle. Therefore, um, when you actually like drag them back a little bit to that point, then then you can tick that off. So I think core core work and just plain old cardio, and even if it was like a, a skipping rope and core work, you would get quite a lot done. If you think about like um, a straight arm plank for me, that's the beginning of um, the press up anyway. And I call that straight arm strength with relevance. Um, mm-hmm. And then if you, if you hang off a bar, that's the exact same hang off a bar um, and do straight arm strength uh, with relevance. Um, that that's another one that, that, um, that uh, another exercise that I do. So I, I advise people to do a lot of core work and a lot of cardio. And again, here's the thing. It's very, very easy to do it's not really going to be that taxing or that demanding. And when you've actually done it, you've always get the feel good factor that you've actually trained. So again, it's that first little bit that was actually achievable. I've actually done that. Um, and then the next one is, is like, then you can start to add in sort of like body weight squats or body weight lunges. Probably I'd say I get people to lunge more than squat um, purely because a lot of people maybe have uh, uh, issues with the ankle or issues with the hip. So it's a lot easier for them to do like a reverse lunge or a step up. Because yeah. that's something they, they do on a daily basis. So they can start that. That'll start getting the the um the single leg strength going. Then once they've done that, so they've they've then got uh, they can add that into the core. Then if they are genuinely really weak, you can do hands elevated press ups. I'd rather somebody elevated their hands um rather than like uh like bent their knee. I don't think yeah. that's a, 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 I never have that I've never had that as yeah. aggression for a press up. I just don't think it's right. That mm-hmm. hands elevated. Um, so the way I tend to uh, test people is, or, or um, program bodyweight training, is I get them just to do a max set, uh, um, whatever they can do. So let's say, for example, they can only, if they can only do um, less than 10, then I'll get them to repeat that. So I might just say, look, um, do three max reps of press-ups, hands elevated, and then like, let me know your score. When they when they reach like ten repetitions and above consistently, so over like three sets, the next thing that I then do is I'll add on like another set, but I'll get them to the next one at fifty percent. So yeah. get, let's say they do um, they do twelve reps as a max, then I'll say look, you're going to then do um, four reps at uh, six, and then you're going to do five, and I gradually build them up that way. 
and the reason why I do that is for a beginner, I, I'd much rather that they do more sets and less reps because then they can get a better quality of movement. Um, and, and again, so I normally have a time block on that. So you do as many sets as you can. So you might do like, uh, say, press-ups. If you can do like a rowing type movement, um, then fine. But if you can't, then I get them to do like a lot of dorsal raises, cobras, um, you know, like a prone tees and different stuff like that. And that just gets them to build up the back muscles and, get, and allows the, the chest to actually open up. So if you think about that agonist-antagonist relationship, so that yeah. would be press-ups, say dorsal raises, press-ups, prone tees, um, a core exercise, um, reverse lunges or step-ups. And you, you do that as a circuit with, with cardio. And it's, sorry, I'll turn my, um, I don't know what's coming up there. <laughs> my uh, messaging is going. Yeah, so wow. I, I tend to do that for like a, a time. And and once they, they hit like a certain amount of reps, then we can actually lower the, uh, the, the, the height down for the press-ups. And then when they've got on to like normal press-ups in the floor, I pretty much start again, like, right, what's your max? 50% of that. And then, then you, you build up the sets. And I think that's just a better way because um, the, the, the key thing what I'm trying right. to do initially is not having people really struggle or strain. Yeah, um, I think that's very, very easy to like push people too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always want people to, to genuinely feel like they've achieved something. So it's like, man, that feels good. So it's almost, I had the session, if we go back to what we spoke about before, I want people to feel energized after their session. Yeah. Um, but I mean, so one of the, the questions that, that people normally ask is yeah but it's max reps but for me then uh, i'm i'm very clear max reps is like your technical max so as soon as you like feel like you can't do another push-up you you stop pretty much there so as soon as your your form alters so if, if somebody's with me then as soon as i see like a, a slight change i go right, right that's your max and then then i i, uh, I reduce that score like that and for me that's probably one of the the most successful ways of building people up, having a real quality movement pattern like over time, um, remaining either injury-free or actually um, getting pain-free if they've been in pain. So you, you, you can serve like um, two of those from just doing that because you're, you're having that graduated exposure. And again, it's like quality reps. So if you think back to like, what do you want? You want muscle memory. You want a really good movement pattern um, because um, you want to improve in that time and time, then that's one of my approaches. Yeah, yeah. How do you deal with the, the chin-up and pull-up in that respect as well? Because the, the, they've got a higher barrier entry with regards to execution. Yeah, so again, so obviously there's right, there's context, isn't there? So, um, it, so if somebody's like, I cannot, all I've got is body weight, then for me, I'll be like, look, you need to invest in something. So I'd get them to invest in a band um, so if you look at a band and a broomstick and then you think, right, um, so if that's all I've got and I haven't got a bar, I'm not going to hang off a door frame or anything like that, but all I've got is um, a broomstick and a band. I think that's achievable for people to actually invest in. And then from there, I would literally, so if you think about it, what do I have to, what do I have to build? I have to build my arms. I have to build like the tendons of my arms. I have to like strengthen my bicep. You can do that with yeah. bands and a stick and you can improve on that. Um, at the same, so you can do like isometric contractions. You can tighten that band up by like doubling or looping, looping it over two or three times. So you can do quite a lot to actually strengthen up the arms. At the same time, 
Um, if you're doing like a, like the simple ones, like the Cobras, the prone tees, rear band pulls, you can really work the muscles in the back. You can even do uh, like banded bent over rows. Um, yeah. You can do them with hands on the hands on the band, or you can use the stick. So you can do quite a lot to actually develop, uh, not necessarily the chin itself, but the muscles involved. Um, and like I said, you can like develop tendon strength, yeah. tendon health, um, the bicep, the triceps, um, muscles in the back, posterior cuff, all these things. So you can you can actually do quite a lot. So when they eventually say like oh I can no vest and a chin up but their body's actually strong so then for me it would be right it would start off um, if you I, I combine with you're gonna do as many you're gonna hang from the bar as long as you can and then once once you reach 60 seconds I want you to progress to a sternum pull so that's actually gonna work the shoulder blades but immediately off that, I would say, right, uh, hang on the bar as, uh, as much as you can. Then you're going to drop off. Then you're going to do um, uh, floor pull-ups, so basically feet on the floor, um, and then you, you, can, you still go through that movement pattern. So I try and mimic that as much as I can. And then going back off that same principle of, of how I've done uh, press-ups, I do a max test. Um, and then once you reach 10, then obviously you can go into the 50%. But I would, I would max reps for three sets. Um, and continue like that until I can get 10. And then from there, I go into that, like, right, it's going to be 50%. And then you you uh, you accrue sets, so you've got quality every single time. And that's how I tend to do that from a chin-up perspective. So is the 50% like greasing the groove in that respect? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because you, remember, you want quality. Because if you consider it, like, you want the nervous system to actually be attuned uh, to that, uh, for example, especially with chin-ups, mm-hmm. you're not going to get somebody who's going to jump up and do ch- 10 chin-ups straight away. It's like they're going to get one. So when you, you tend to drop to, say, 50 or below, it's really low reps and really low reps. So you, you're looking at quality. And if you think about the, the things you can actually do from there, it could be like the first rep, you, you're going to do like an isometric contraction or hold. Uh, but what I tend mm-hmm. to do is on that last rep, when I can see it, you say, look, let's say it's like you're doing six. Um, you're going to do six and then a max hold. And that max hold, you're trying to like, maximally contract your back, squeeze your scapula together and stuff like that, almost like snap the bar and then lower down under control. Um, but if you, if you think yeah. about that, you're combining that with, a, with an active hang straight into your floor pull-ups. And then from there, you can, uh, like, whatever like, press configuration would be, then I would add in like a, a conditioning drill. So you might do, let's say, for example, it would be a hang, a floor yeah. pull-up, a press up, and then it might be like twenty rear band pulls or twenty face pulls, because I really want to, I really want to pump up the back muscles and, and maximize yeah. engagement of the smaller muscles as well. Because I can fatigue there; yeah. they're not really going to be as fatigued if I do like a flow pull up because it's going to be slightly different. So that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so like if, if you then have a focus on that from an upper, and then the recovery then would be like a lower body. So it might be lunges, squats, um, heels elevated, glute bridge. Or it might be like a variant of pistols or single leg calf raises or even explosive jumps. Um, yeah. Because I want to, if you think about tendon health, I want to like a fast dynamic movement will actually stiffen the tendon, which which yeah. you uh, sometimes can be a problem with um, people. They, they do too much too soon. So there's, there's many ways you can actually do that. So again, if you think about that, look at how many variables that I can do compared to 
like somebody on a diet. Do you know what I mean? I've got more, again, I'm, I'm going back yeah. to how many levers have I actually got when it comes to training yeah. and yeah. then particularly with body weight to actually expose to burn calories, make them actually feel good and go, fuck me, I've actually achieved a lot. Like, <laughs> if you think about like maybe three months ago, I was struggling doing, yeah. doing a straight arm plank hold. Now I'm yeah. doing press-ups, now I'm doing hangs, now I'm doing inverted rows and different stuff like that. I'm doing all these band stuff. So it becomes like a three-minute session, all of a sudden's 30 minutes, quite a lot. And it's, man, I've achieved like, like a shitload of stuff. Um, yeah. And for me, that, that, yeah. keep, that keeps people enthused to want to go up to the next level. And, and me, I'm always waiting for people to ask me the question. So rather than tell them, oh, you need to do this and you need to do that, it's like when, when, when somebody gets confident, they'll come mm. and say, Andy, um, I never really thought I'd be able to do this, but I really want to do, you know, like, if you look at the bodyweight world, um, when they start to do chin-ups and stuff, like, I've got clients go like, I wouldn't mind doing a handstand uh, yeah, yeah, hold, yeah. or I wouldn't mind being able to do a front lever, but they would never, you know I mean, I wouldn't tell them that because it wouldn't, it, that would be me pushing or impressing my idea yeah. onto them and my bias. But yeah. once you've actually like, broken down the barrier and broken down the layers and give people confidence, they might, I mean, it could be like, oh, I want to, I want to try maybe barbell stuff. And it's, and if you think about it, some of these actually went through a real, uh, progressively planned that body weight training, let's say for like three, six months, whatever it is. When it, by the time they come to a barbell, you don't really have to coach as much. You don't have to talk about breathing and bracing mm. because they've already learned that. They've done, might have done a hollow body tuck hold, um, like you mean, know, like planks, RKC planks, side bridges. They know how to brace. So when you then say, Look, I want you to brace and hold your breath, it's, it's, it's the, the conversation is different. Whereas, yeah. If you if you're a coach and somebody comes in and goes, I want a deadlift, I'll be like, Well, show me, can you do a push up? Can you do a squat? Can you do that? I'll be like, like, you're not ready for that yet. You need to actually do that. And then for me, if they say, oh, I, st- I still want to do a deadlift, well find yourself another coach. Because yeah. I mean I mean that's I don't really see anybody like that, but when I when I was in that certain like part of the industry, um I got to the point where I could actually refuse or no. say to people, Look, I'm I'm not your guy then because th- yeah. this is my process of if you follow that, um, then you'll get the results that you actually seek, and that will be yeah. consistently training long enough and feeling good about yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the chin up or the pull up is the game changer in body weight training, in the sense that once you've been able to accomplish that, it unlocks so much more, as well as giving you the confidence because there is that barrier. The push-up is relatively easy. You don't have to invest in any equipment, but the chin-up is it's a journey. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Um, for somebody to do a chin-up, I think, especially, like, for yeah. example, untrained, that is something that's actually like worthy of saying I've trained well for that. Because it's like quite, I think, people who naturally can do chin-ups, do you know what I mean? Somebody's like naturally skinny, thin, whatever, whatever you want to call it, and oh, I, I, I just suddenly done them. They don't really uh, understand how difficult it actually is for somebody to go through a whole process of strengthening their body up. You know, like getting the biceps strong, like getting the back strong, getting the shoulders to have the ability to hang, then then lose the weight. Um, that, yeah. That's another one. Do you know what I mean, they're all. Do you know what I mean, I think when, when somebody actually reaches that. I think that's a much better achievement than, say, for example, like pulling a bar off the floor 
you know, yeah. unless you're going for like something like like a triple bodyweight deadlift. I mean, but somebody to actually go through a process really proves that they actually wanted to to do it in the first place as well. Yeah, I, I would argue this is just me because I'm biased, but mastering the body is the essence of training itself. Say again, sorry. Mastering body weight is the essence of training. Because everything yeah. else is just a, it's just an, an item and it's an object, but to master yourself, it's I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm getting a bit too deep there. You just led me on a train of thought. But Andy, I'm going to have to wrap this up. Uh, so before I do so, could you please tell me uh, or tell the viewers where they can find you on YouTube, social media, Instagram, Facebook? Yeah, uh, my YouTube. I, I... My YouTube channel is awful. I need to actually do more YouTube, actually. I need to start doing long-form content. Um, um, essentially, you can find me on uh, ironmacfitness.com. Uh, uh, sorry, ironmacfitness. So, I-R-O-N-M-A-C fitness. Um, and that's on YouTube. Um, I'm probably more active on uh, Instagram. I've tried TikTok, but I just find the platform awful. <laughs> You're too old for that, mate. Yeah, I am. I, I'm just there, um, and on Facebook as well. But I'm mainly active on there. And then from from my website perspective, I've got um, noweeklinks.co.uk, and that's where like I run you know, like my online uh, stuff. But um, I'm pretty active, and and I'm not a. Um, if you ask me a question on social media, I'll get back to you. And I, I, yeah. I genuinely like that interaction. I have not enough followers, or I'm not above my station yet. <laughs> after uh, twenty years to. Um, Yes, I'm. I'm more. I enjoy the interaction and things like that. So that's where you can find me. Well, I'll put all those links in the video description. But listen, Andy, that was fascinating. That 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 truly was. You're a very very interesting character, and and your knowledge as well was uh, quite astounding there, mate. Uh, you you took me on a lot of trains of thought while we were talking there. So, Andy, that was an absolute pleasure. Hopefully, we can get you on again at some point, and we can. Because we didn't even really scratch the surface there. There's a lot more about training we could speak about as well. Yeah, no, Lee, listen, mate, it'd be, it'd be an absolute pleasure, mate. Um, and uh, you're in Glasgow, mate. And next time, in fact, next time I come up the road, mate, I'll, um, I'll definitely have to hit you up. Hit me up, mate. We'll do some puppies together. Burpees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, mate, thanks very much. I'll talk to you later. Okay, buddy. I need drums, mate.